Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series on the kingdom, the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else and how this impacts the way we live today. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Everybody good? Good to see you guys. Hey, before we get into the message, want to highlight the announcement you just saw and remind you, I've been doing this all month. Today is First Step Part 3, and it is your last chance for this version of First Step Part 3. So if you've ever been going through First Step over the years and you need Part 3 today at 5.30, last chance, because we're going to take month of May off, and we're going to rewrite, make some changes, and come back with a different version in June. So you wouldn't want to have to like start all that over, right? Okay, so if you need part three, it is today, and I want to go ahead and give you a heads up. If you need part four, it's next week, so uh, finish up first step if you're involved in it, ever been in part of that. Okay, everybody good? Cool. Just for the fun of it, can I ask, have y'all been looking at the building? Who's excited? Come on, isn't that exciting? Yeah. Everybody keeps saying, man, that wood looks awesome. It's actually corn, just so you know, corn. It's amazing what we learn to make in the world today, but that's corn. It looks like wood. We're hoping the deer don't eat it off the building, but that's okay. Pretty sure they won't. So hey, everybody, we are in a series on the kingdom of God. Today is part three. I want to take a moment and just make sure we're all on the same page. Maybe some of you are here for the first time. Some of you might have uh, missed a part. It's, it's all online. If you did, you can go and get it. Uh, but let's talk about where we are getting to part three. Well, we began the series in part one with dealing with, you know, a good question. How did we get here? Here's what I mean. If we're going to do a series on the kingdom of God, at some point we should address the fact that we live in a world that feels like the kingdom of God's not here. I mean, if you look at the news and you look at all that's broken and all that's messed up, you have to say, man, God, seriously, what's going on? When are you going to show up and do something? And so we answered the question, how did we get to such a point of brokenness and, and everything being so wrong as we would think it is? And we found out the answer was actually pretty simple. <laughs> One thing happened that had two effects. One caused two effects, and it was this, mankind sinned. And when man sinned, we lost two things that we used to have. One of those was perfect dominion over the earth. See, God made it. He gave it to us. We were in charge. And unfortunately, we gave that away. And then the second thing we had was this incredibly perfect relationship with God. I mean, mankind used to walk in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, just like I could walk with any of you out into the lobby right now. It'd be so easy. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Instead of now, we're like, oh, I got to pray. I hope God can hear me. And, and you know, it's, it's like something is missing. It's that perfect relationship. And then we came back in part two with some good news, because you need, you need good news after something like that, right? And that is this. God is restoring his kingdom upon the earth. He's fixing everything. And this isn't just that kind of, well, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, can't wait to the end, and finally it'll be fixed. No, no, God's fixing it now. God is currently carrying out plan A. And plan A, he told us in the very beginning, there was going to be someone born of a woman. It'd be the king, and he would crush the head of Satan. Come on, that's exciting, right? That's what we should cheer for. We're going to cheer for anything. Plan A is what God's always been doing. And what I want us to talk about today is that when that king came to the earth, when that king was born in the flesh, he did more than just die on a cross. Matter of fact, because he died on the cross, so many more things happened that you and I should have access to in our lives today. And, and there's enough of these that we could do a whole series on them. Matter of fact, we might do that sometime soon. Right now, we're just going to talk about two, just two of these. 
Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to save his people from their sins. And the reason I want to highlight those two is because we sometimes don't realize they're connected. You see, the greatest work of the devil is to trap us in our sins. Because all you got to do is one, just one, and then you're done for. Then you can never pay for your own sins because you can never be perfect again. You can never pay the punishment of your sins. And the Bible tells us that we're trapped in our sins. So you do one, you're going to do another, and then you're going to do another, and you're going to do another. But just one. Can you save us from our sins? Now, I don't know about you, but I never really understood how that worked. I grew up going to church, and I heard all the time, Jesus saves you from your sins. And so for, for decades, I thought the best that I could comprehend that, and, and it's true, by the way, what I'm about to say is part of the answer, really good part of the answer. And, and that means that he saved us from the punishment of our sins. That means that when I sin, because he died on the cross and rose again, I can be forgiven and I can go to heaven, and I am not going to have to pay the punishment for my sins through death. Are you guys with me? Is that, that, that's something you can cheer about if you're going to heaven, right? Okay. And, and that's all that I understood. And I never really got this thing. You'd hear preachers talk about it and other people say, come on, man, Jesus has saved us from the power of sin. Okay, I get it. We're saved from the punishment of sins, but the power of sin. And I grew up as a, as a kid going to church and, and I didn't really understand what that was like. Because, you know, you, your best efforts and then you still sin. I mean, is anybody, you don't have to raise your hands because we wouldn't want to all go, yeah, I sinned this morning. No, we don't. But like as a kid, it, it starts out very easy. And, and it's something simple. Like your mom is leaving you home for the first time when you're like nine or 10 or whatever's legal. I don't know what's legal here anymore, but I grew up in the South. So we're just going to assume it was whatever that legal age is. That's when my mom left me home for the first time. And she'll say something like, while I'm gone, don't eat all the ice cream or don't touch the ice cream. Oh, that's even worse. Because you know, as long as you leave a bite, you're good with the first one. But then she says, don't touch the ice cream. Sure enough, when your mom's gone, what are you going to do? You're going to touch the ice cream. So you go in the freezer and you look in there and you kind of like, well, you know, if I rearrange this and you put the frozen bees up there, pe peas, not beans, whatever, you know, that, and, and, you, and you can maybe kind of figure when she comes home, she won't quite notice that some of the popsicles are missing. And, and then if you're going to eat one of those popsicles, you've got to make sure you hide the popsicle stick in the bottom of the trash can. You see, some of you have yet to figure this out, which is why it's a good thing you're a Christian because you're bad criminals, you know? Some of you, you'd eat that popsicle. You still have chocolate around your lips and a popsicle stick would be laying on the table. Your mom would walk in. You'd be like, come on, seriously? No, I, was, I could hide a popsicle stick. You know, I could get away with it, wash my mouth. She'd never know. But then you become a teenager and this stuff is a little more serious than just sneaking a popsicle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then you become an adult and it becomes even more serious. And you start to notice that despite your best efforts, maybe you're saved from the punishment of sin, but the power of sin seems to be just, it, it's kind of got you. And the best understanding I had, the, the mental picture in my mind was kind of like Jesus and I were on the same basketball team. And I was like, you know, like the 10th man. There's 12 on the team, if y'all don't know. I'm pretty bad at basketball, but I need to be better than somebody today. So I'm just going to assume there's two other guys that are worse than me. And somehow... I'm out on the court at the end of the game and I get fouled. So it's like the winning shot. If I can just hit this, I can win for everybody. You wish Jesus was the one who got fouled because he's God, he's never gonna miss, right? And we'd automatically win if Jesus was doing this. But unfortunately, I'm doing this. I'm the one that's gotta shoot the shot. And so I had this image, Jesus is on the bench and he's cheering me on. Come on, you can do it. You can make it. 
Just say no. Don't do it. Walk away. You don't have to sin. Come on, you've got power to sin. Just say no. I, I just imagine Jesus being like the greatest cheerleader. You guys understand what I'm saying? And then I'd still sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know there's got to be somebody here with me today. You don't have to raise your hands, but you know this whole idea? We're, we're, we're still sinners. Maybe raise your hand for that one. Who's a sinner in this house? We're still sinners. We know we're sinners. But you know the problem? We don't say that like it's a theological truth, like before God, I'm a human, I'm a sinner. We say it almost as though it's a self-imposed curse. Yeah, I'm a sinner. It's all I can ever be. I can never be victorious over sin. I'm just a sinner. I mean, and it's like we speak it over ourselves, not when we are saying, God, help me, but when we're saying, man, I just messed up again. All we can keep saying is, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Thank God I'm forgiven, but I'm just always going to be a sinner. You know, it, it seems like I, I'm just powerless against the power of sin. I, I can't break this cycle. No matter how hard I try, it's a good thing Jesus died for me because I'm going to need that forgiveness. I just can't be victorious over sin. Somebody here has got to be resonating with what I'm saying. I spent decades of my life just thinking, how can I be better? How can I do better? Well, that's where we are today with part three. What I want you to understand is that your king has done more than save you from the punishment of sin. Your king has given you power over sin that you can be victorious over it. And so I'd like to show you how that is today. Somebody say, how? Y'all really want to know? I hope so, because the other two services were not excited about that. And the problem is I don't have any other notes. So that's like, this is all we can talk about. This is all we've got. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter four. That's going to be our main passage today. But as you're turning there, I want to kind of give you the backstory of what's going on in Luke chapter four. You see, it's actually going to go back to the beginning. Again, we talked about this earlier in the series. When everything went wrong, at the very beginning, God said, plan A is there's going to be a king. It's going to be one born of a woman. He's going to come and he's going to crush your head, Satan. You need to watch out because that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you right now, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to happen. So Satan was on the lookout. And he's watching as human history unfolds. As one is born, he looks and goes, no. Nah. Another one is born. Is that? No. Eventually, a guy named Moses comes along and he thinks, huh, this could be the one. There's been something special spoken about him. He's going to be the one to deliver God's people. Maybe that's him. And then we see an attack from Satan come against Moses that all of the males, two years old and younger, were wiped out in an effort to take out Moses. But it turns out he wasn't the one. Moses got him out of Egypt, but he was just a prophet. Turns out Moses was a sinner himself, made a few mistakes, didn't get to go into the promised land. Satan says, huh, let me keep watching. And he watches throughout history. He watches throughout history. And then there was that time where we celebrated every Christmas. Stuff was stirring. Things were happening. Something's got to be going down. Angels are showing up. Angels are talking to shepherds. They're just shepherds. Who are they? Why would an angel talk, show up and talk to a shepherd? Why are spiritual leaders from all over the world, the wise men, that's what they were, spiritual leaders coming and seeking out the birth of this one? Why is a king even asking questions? Where is the one that people are talking about that's being born today? What, what is going on? There's a star. It doesn't even make any sense. Something, this might be the one. Actually, he figured it out. This is the one. 
And just like he did with Moses, he said, I'm just going to do the same thing again. Next thing we see, all the male children, two years old and younger, were wiped out in an effort to take out Jesus. But God supernaturally intervenes and saves Jesus' life over seven times, sending him into Egypt and then bringing him back. I mean, just over and over and over again. Satan missed. He failed. Jesus is alive. So we watch Jesus grow up. We see a story of him going to the temple when he's a young boy. Not much is spoken of him. And now Jesus is about to begin his ministry. And Satan says, I better, I better wake up. I better pay attention because he, he looks like he's about to destroy my works and save his people from, from their sins. I, I need to do something right now. So Satan comes up with an idea. Okay, killing him didn't work. Let me see if something else. Hmm. No, he couldn't work. He'd never fall for that. Well, you know what? Maybe he would. I mean, after all, it worked once. Adam and Eve, it felt, they fell. And it was the same thing. See, here's the, they used to have perfect relationship with the Father. So Jesus had that. Well, they were willing to give it up. Jesus used to have heaven. And, well, they had perfect creation, and they were willing to trade that away. Huh, you know what? I think this could work. If I can't take out his life, I've just got to get him to sin. I just need to tempt him just once. Because just, just once. And if he will sin just once, he'll be just like them. I won't have to kill him because he's going to end up dying himself. That's just once. I bet I can tempt him. There's a passage in the Bible if you want to memorize something good, this is one. It's 1 John 2, 16. It's not our passage yet, so just hold on. But it's on the screen. It says, for all that is in the world, all? Yeah, all. All that the world has to offer is either the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life. There's nothing else. And it's not from the Father. These temptations are not from the Father. No, these temptations are from the world. And the world will constantly say, here, let me offer you the desires of the flesh. Let me offer you the desires of the life. Let me, uh, uh, of, of the eyes. Let me offer you the pride of life. And so this is exactly what he tries with Jesus. It worked after all once. Maybe it'll work again. Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. He was hungry. What's God doing being hungry? <laughs> Somebody tell me that. Why is God hungry? I mean, I thought he was God, right? This is one of the most important things that you and I need in order to hold on to Jesus and to follow his example in our lives. Is, is this theological truth? And maybe you've never been told. Maybe you just need a good reminder. What Jesus did, he did not do as God. Jesus voluntarily and willingly laid down his divinity and said, what I do on the earth as a man, I will not do as God. I will do as a man filled with the spirit of God because that's the only way that they will ever have hope. It's the only way they'll ever have power. It's the only way they can be delivered is to see my example showing them who they can be and what they can do. Because if I just show up and be God, well, they can't be God. It won't do them any good. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been talking with somebody and saying, hey, what would Jesus want for your life right now? What would Jesus have you do? What would Jesus say to you? And, and the number of times that people say to me, oh, come on, pastor, that's not fair. Jesus was God. And what you need to know is, yes, he was. But what he did, he did not do as God. He did as a man filled with the spirit of God. That's why he was hungry. 
That's why the devil could show up and actually tempt him. Because he was in the same position you and I were in. He was a man filled with the Spirit of God. And so Satan wanted to show up and tempt. And he did with the first one, the desires of the flesh. In this case, it was about pleasure for his body. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You see, here we go. The desires of the flesh, pleasure, pleasure for your body, food in this case. But you know what? Food's not even sin. He wasn't even trying to get him to do anything wrong. I don't know about you, but if I'd been fasting for 40 days, I'm going to eat. I can't wait for lunch. And it, I've only have been since breakfast. <laughs> Come on, y'all. You know what I'm saying? 40 days. I've never fasted 40 days. I don't know if anybody in here has ever tried that, but I would want to eat and I would thank God for the food and I would ask God to give it. I mean, come on. This wasn't even a, a bad thing that he was trying to offer him, but it would lead somewhere because if he could just get him to take the bait, hey, Jesus, take your eyes off of what you're looking at and look at the natural. Your stomach's growling. Focus on what you see right in front of you. Get your eyes off the big picture, big picture, and get your eyes fixed on the desires of the flesh. Your, your body is hungry. This world calls out to you. There is something right there. And Jesus' answer was the best you could ever expect. Hey, my physical stuff, that's not what's most important to me. My stomach growling, I barely noticed. <laughs> I could just see him saying that. Oh, that thing? I wondered what that was. No, see, that's not what's going to get me. Physical desires don't matter most. Matter of fact, there is something more important than physical life. It's who God is and what he's doing in my life. That's what my eyes are on. Matter of fact, I can live on what God says more than I can live on bread. That's why we see today that people are martyred for their faith because they simply understand that staying on earth is not the most important thing. That their faith in Jesus is more important than a few more days here and now. And look, I'm going to tell you what, that, that's kind of hard if you think about that, isn't it? I mean, I'm the pastor. I should be like the first one to model that for you. <laughs> if somebody were to burst through the door of the gun and says, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you, I should unfortunately be the one who goes, take me first. I'm glad that, I hope that's not going to happen. I'm glad it hasn't happened yet. Because let me be honest with you, it, it's hard to keep your eyes on that and not on anything here. I, I know the first thing that's going to go through my mind is something I see with my eyes every day. It's going to be my family. I've got a seven-year-old daughter that thinks she's like the, the greatest artist in the world. And, and just for the record, she is the greatest seven-year-old artist in the world. And, and so all we ever buy her for birthday and Christmas is art supplies. And she's always drawing and coloring and bringing to Daddy, look what I made you. Daddy, look what I made you. I mean, I got like a stack like this. When she's famous someday, I've got the originals. And we'll be rich, you know? And the thought would go through my head. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to give this up. I want this desire of the flesh. I want to go home and hug my daughter. You see, unfortunately, it's just to try to get our eyes on this world. Sometimes it, it's not even sin at first, that, that, but it can be a sin to value it above God. And then other things begin to creep in, like moral purity. Maybe it's not just eating. Maybe there's some other desire of the flesh that comes into place. You see, this is why we fast. It's, it's because we need to take a time that says this physical stuff is not what matters the most. We've got a little mantra we use around here. It's something God gave me as we were doing a series on uh, prayer and fasting a few years back. We've used it over and over. Many of you have seen this before. It's going to be on the screen for you. But it, it goes like this. Our physical world is not our home. I don't live for this place. I live for heaven. I live for what Jesus is doing for me right there. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a room for you that you may come. I, I'm, I'm living for that room because my kitchen is not worth living for right now. I mean, if y'all have ever seen it, you know what I'm saying? It's 
it's like 20-something years old. Our physical desires are not most important. Yeah, what, what this body wants right now, no, 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 that is not what comes first. What comes first is what God wants for me. And our physical body is not our God. This doesn't determine, this doesn't determine who I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. And if we can make that statement our mantra, if we can just learn to say this over and over, our physical world is not our home. Our physical desires are not most important. Our physical body is not our God. Then when Satan comes at you with the first one, the desires of the flesh, you can say, uh-uh, you ain't getting me because that's what Jesus did. Strike one. So Satan says, that's all right. I got two more tries. Verse five, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, here's a key truth we learned in part one. Satan could offer this. He could offer it because it had been given to him. Unfortunately, mankind had screwed up and all the dominion of the world belonged to him. It was his to do with as he pleased. He could rightly offer it to Jesus. But there was a competing offer. The father had offered it to Jesus. See, if you can just imagine kind of how the story went. Father talking to his sons. Here's the deal, son. I want you to go and get all our people back. I want you to get dominion, but I want you to restore everything. You are plan A. You can just see Jesus begin to smile. Give me my moment. Come on. Let me down there. Father says, I need you to understand that as you go to do this, there's going to be some tough parts to it. You see, actually, you're going to have to die a physical death. You're going to actually have to die the most painful, horrific death that those people down there have been able to invent in all of history. And the sad part is that's not what will hurt you the most. What will hurt you the most is that as you are on that cross and as you are experiencing that incredible physical pain, the sins of the world, of all of mankind, will be placed upon you. And you will feel something dark you have never, ever felt. And then sadly, because the sins of the world are upon you, I will have to turn my back for a moment. And you will feel and believe, I have forsaken you. It'll be the darkest moment in history upon the earth. And Satan says, I can give you all this and you won't have to go through that. All the kingdoms of the world, they'll be yours if you'll just worship me. Here's what I need you to know. Satan always offers you a shortcut. Satan always offers you a shortcut, but it is always a counterfeit. See, here's what Jesus was thinking. You're right. I can have all of this right now. Unfortunately, it was given to you, and you can give it to me. And you're right. All I will have to do is bow down and worship you. I'll be number two in your kingdom. You'll be number one. I think I'd rather be number two in God's kingdom and he'll be number one. Because see, here's the deal. You're offering me all of this stuff. It's a counterfeit of what I'm going to have. I'm going to have it. 
I'm going to have it anyway, but I'm going to have it in a new heavens and a new earth. And it's not going to be crumbling like this. It doesn't decay. It's not broken. No, I'm going to have it when it is perfect, when it is going to last forever. I mean, think about this. All that stuff that Satan was offering Jesus, we've got an entire career field to go and try and dig it up and figure out where it is now. It's gone because it decayed because everything of this world right now is fallen. And he's saying, Jesus, you can have this broken stuff that's going to continue to crumble and you can have these people that are lost. And Jesus says, no, thank you. I'm going to take that stuff when it is fixed, when it is right, when the streets are made of gold, when everything will be perfect. And those people, no, they won't be broken and sinful and selfish anymore. They'll be perfectly restored. They'll be glorified and they will walk in fellowship with me and the father. I will get it back through the cross. See, it was the desires of the eyes. Satan said, look, it's attractive, isn't it? I mean, God's plan is so painful. God's plan is so difficult. God's plan is gonna be so hard for you. I mean, I know that you think it's gonna look good someday, but look right now. Look what's right in front of you. This is attractive and it's pain-free. Come on, it looks good. The desires of the eyes. Satan does it to us today. He says, you know, I know God's got something for you, but look at this. Maybe you're dating somebody and God's got a plan for you, beautiful relationship, beautiful intimacy. And Satan says, look at this. Don't do it God's way. Come on right now. You know, he begins to blend the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. Come on, my way looks better. Some of y'all needed that. How about this one? You know, when I think about him trying to do this on life today, on the earth, in our lives, I can't think of a better example than marriage. Because if you've been married, it also requires a painful death. Come on, married people, give me an amen on that one. Painful death. But if you will go through the painful death instead of taking the shortcut for the counterfeit, you'll get unity that nothing else on earth can match. And you will experience love that only the Father in heaven can rival. And you, you will end up with your former biggest enemy being your best friend. You will have someone to offer you acceptance that you can't find on the planet outside of that person. And you will have someone who will believe in your dreams and your calling more than you. But you're going to have to go through the death to yourself and your wants, and all of that stuff that usually comes with about a decade of being married. And then you're going to have this beautiful thing. But Satan says, no, 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 look over here. Look over here. This is easier. Take this. Abandon that. Give that up. Satan offers always, always offers you a shortcut, but it is always a counterfeit. Strike two. He says, I got one more try, though. Matter of fact, this is my best. I'm saving my best for last. This has worked on everybody forever. I bet I'll get him. Verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. And then he begins to read the Bible and tell Jesus who the Bible says he is. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is the pride of life. Number three, the pride of life. Because what he's doing is going after his identity. 
Let me tell you who you are. Let me remind you of your greatness. And for a moment, I want you just to reach out and say, I deserve to experience my greatness. Come on, you can do it. Don't you know who you are? If that's who you are, you need to reach down and grab this. The devil does it with us too, all the time. He comes after our identity, tells us we are somebody. Then he turns around and tells us we're not good enough to be that somebody. Then he tells us we should deserve. Don't you deserve better than what you got? Don't you know who you are? Come on, if you're a child of God, you deserve a better life than the one you've got. You deserve to be more blessed than that. Come on, somebody's got to be, that's me. I can't tell you the number of times I walk into my kitchen. One a minute ago, I told you I didn't look at, and actually I do. I walk into it, come on, come on, God, I serve you. I deserve better than this. Renovate this thing for me. I want a whole floor that doesn't have a hole in it. Like, yeah, my car, oh, I especially get frustrated with my car. I had a deer run into it about a year ago. I did not run into the deer. Deer ran into me. Messed up the whole side, airbags don't work, got a hole in the seat. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And I was like, man, God, I deserve better than this. I tithe, I preach, I serve you. I deserve better than this. Come on, I'm not the only one here. I know somebody out there is telling God you deserve better all the time. And I would, every time I'd get in my car, God, I deserve better than this. And so, you know what, God, God broke it. Okay, he maybe didn't break it, but he let it get broken to get to me. And I spent about five weeks without my car. And when I finally got my car back, I was like, oh, thank you, God, for this. It's amazing how happy you can be. But the Satan, man, he's just like, oh, let me tell you who you are and what you deserve. And he came after. Come on, look at the foolish things we have done just to, to, to defend our pride and who we are. Like, excuse me? I, I don't, I deserve better than that. I should, I should have got that promotion. I deserve better than this. I deserve better than the work for you. You're such an idiot. I deserve better than this. I deserve better friends. I deserve a better spouse. I deserve a better paycheck. I deserve a better whatever. I mean, what about the foolish things we've done to defend our pride? Think about this. The foolish things we've done just to feel like we're somebody. Come on, any teenagers in here? Peer pressure. You know what's funny? Is we always think like the youth group should talk about peer pressure because teenagers are always giving in to peer pressure. Well, let me tell you, my experience as a pastor, adults do it just as much. But whatever your age is, this is for free. Peer pressure is number three, pride of life. You're worried about what somebody else thinks of you. Don't fall for that. Did y'all catch what he said to Jesus? If you are the son of God. If. He actually did it earlier. It was the first thing he said too. He, he kept going after his identity. Come on now. I don't know who you are, but you seem to think you're the son of God. So. If you're really the one, you should just take the bait. Check out what Jesus said to him. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now look, when we read this on the surface, that's a beautiful answer. And it's like Jesus is saying, don't test the Lord your God. And this is a great principle for your life to basically say, here's what this means. I'm not going to do something stupid just so that God has to show up and save me because basically I'm a moron. <laughs> Look, that's a great principle for your life. Good. Apply it. Live by that. But here's the problem. We actually miss out on one of the coolest moments in the Bible. And the reason you miss it is because you've got to look at that little tiny letter that sends you over to the, the, the cross reference and the footnote or something, and then you got to flip back somewhere in the Bible and see where that takes you, and then you got to read that, and then you got to keep going because they didn't include everything that was in context, and you miss all the coolness. 
So would y'all like to know where the coolness is? See, this was an inside moment that Jesus and Satan were having, and it kind of gets left out if you're on the outside. You know, when an inside joke is like when you and another coworker, your boss seems to like say a word wrong over and over and over. And so you and another coworker kind of have this inside joke. You start laughing every time your boss says it wrong. You know what? Yeah. Or maybe you got not a joke, but an inside moment. Like you were, you got married, you had this incredible honeymoon. And every time somebody mentions the place where y'all went, y'all just look at each other and smile because the memories just come back. It's an inside moment. You see, Jesus and Satan were having an inside moment right here because Satan foolishly decided to quote scripture to Jesus about Jesus. And here's what he said. It was Psalm 91. He said, you know, if you're the son of God, just throw yourself down because here's what the Bible says about you. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, don't you know this? And he conveniently stopped at that point. And Jesus looked at him as if to say, I do know the next sentence. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And last time I checked, that was you. So when Jesus says, do not test the Lord your God, there's an inside joke of, I know the next verse. Don't test me. I know who I am and who I am called to be and what I am called to do. And I know I'm supposed to show you this later. I can show you right now if you really want to know. So don't test the Lord your God. He stands in front of you at the moment. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so check out the devil's response. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed. <laughs> I'm getting out of here before he tramples on the head of the God. No, I'm trying to avoid this. All of history, I've been trying to avoid it. Now I'm standing face to face. I'm getting out of here. When the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, this, this was only one chapter in the Bible. You only offered him three things. Three things. How can you say every temptation? Only three things. Exactly. Because there's only three things. Desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's it. And he's got nothing else. And because Jesus withstood the temptation to all three of those, and he's our king, we have the power over sin. We have the power over the temptation and the struggle of sin. This is not something where we just wait to be forgiven someday. We have power. And it comes down to this simple thing. We just need to do what Jesus did. You see, what Jesus did when he was offered the desires of the world is he said, there is something that my eyes are on that are not of this world. My eyes are on something else. Matter of fact, it's not really visible right now. It takes faith. But my eyes are on what I see that this world does not offer me. Two things. This is what we need our eyes on. The first one, God's word. We need our eyes on God's word. You see, God's word is truth. God's word is his promise. And in a fight with the enemy, if you don't have truth, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You see, even the devil will quote scripture. That's why we've got to know it. We've got to know the sentence he leaves out. We've got to know when to say, excuse me, I know the next line, buddy. I've read the end of the book. You know, we've got to know God's word. But it's more than just about knowing it. It's about believing it. It's about wanting it. 
It's about wanting it fulfilled in your life. You see, here's what, what Jesus did when, when Satan said, hey, why don't you take that? He said, no, thank you. I want this one. I mean, I could turn that stone into bread. Matter of fact, it would be like the most amazing bread. You would smell it like you're in a bakery, buddy. There would be like sesame seeds on top. You'd see the steam coming off. It'd be the, piece of, the greatest piece of bread the earth has ever seen. I couldn't, nope, but I'd rather have this. I'd rather have this fulfilled in my life. Well, then maybe you'll take all of this stuff. No, no, actually, no, I'd rather have this fulfilled in my life because according to this, I'm getting that anyway. Well, you know, if you are so-and-so, all I need is who this says I am. This is all I need right here. And what Jesus wanted that we need to grab onto is he wanted this fulfilled in his life more than anything the world had to offer. And this honestly is where we because, well, if you aren't reading it, I'd recommend you do. But once you begin to read this, and once you begin to understand what this says about how much your God loves you, and once you understand what this says about who you are, and what you will do, and what God will do through you, and once you begin to grab onto that, and Satan comes and says, hey, how about this? You say, no, thank you. But unfortunately, we do just the opposite. And it might be as simple as somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know what? We would really love to promote you at work. It's going to double your salary. You're going to have some great vacations. All of those people that annoy you, you'll be their boss. You can just fire them if you want to. Life's going to be great. You will be, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is going to be great. Look, all we really need is we just need a team player. You know, that, that last guy, he just was real stickler for some things. You know, there's a few things every now and then we just need to fudge on a little bit, a little bit of gray area, maybe just a little bit of messing around, moving some money here, moving some, we just need a team player. Can you be a team player? Double the salary, great vacations for your kids. You know that kid you can't afford to send to college, you'll be able to send them to college. All you got to do, and you look, well, thank you, I would love that position. So we got to keep God's word first. And the second thing that Jesus held on to that he could see out there that was greater than what the world was offering was his identity. <laughs> he knew who he was. He was the son of God. Why would he want to trade being the son of God sitting at the right hand of the father in the kingdom of heaven, perfectly glorified for being at Satan's right hand in kingdoms that are going to decay only to be judged? Why would you trade that? And if you missed part two, you need to go back and get it because we need to remember who we are. We are kingdom of darkness, crushing members of the kingdom of God. Were you here last week? Did you guys remember that? Do that with me. We are kingdom of darkness, crushing members of the kingdom of God. Who would trade that? Who would trade that for something on earth that is gonna fade and die and be broken? So I wanna close with a challenge. Y'all ready for a challenge? That was, that was better than all the other services. I, was, I had to go and preach longer in the other services. They weren't ready for a challenge. When I read 1 John 2, 16 to you, you think, well, that's like at the end of the Bible. I'm glad somebody finally figured out what was wrong with the world. Actually, we didn't figure it out at the end of the Bible. I want to show you something in Genesis 3. Good chapter. Have y'all noticed? <laughs> read Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit, of tree, the fruit of the tree was good for food, what is that? Desires of the flesh. And pleasing to the eye, what is that? Desires of the eyes. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, what is that? Pride of life. Are you kidding me? 
in the garden, in the beginning, before anything ever went down, Satan already had his playbook. He's got three things to offer. He's gonna offer three things. He doesn't have four. He's only got three. And he's gonna use these three pathetic little attempts to take humanity down for all of time. Three. She took it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Eve lost everything because she gave in to the three. That's it. Jesus gained because he said no to those three. And here's where you and I will make this as practical as I can for you because you'll be tempted again in a few minutes, definitely in the next 24 hours. As practical as I can make this, here's where you and I get the power over sin. We can choose to follow our human nature and do as our human parents have done for millennia and chase the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Or we can follow our kingdom nature and do as our king did and keep our eyes on kingdom life, kingdom value, and be kingdom of darkness, crushing members of the kingdom of God. That's a choice. But next time, all you can imagine is Jesus is sitting on the bench cheering you on. I want you to know you've got much more power than that because you are a child of the king. You have citizenship in the one kingdom that will never be shaken. You simply got to decide when you wake up, when something comes your way, will you respond as a human or will you respond member of the kingdom. Human nature, kingdom nature. You have a king, and so you have a choice. And that is how we have power over the temptation of sin. I want to close by talking to those of you that, sadly, you don't have a kingdom nature. You don't have a kingdom nature because you don't have a king. You see, you have yet to have that moment where you surrendered your life to Jesus. And until you surrender your life to Jesus, and are transferred into his kingdom and he becomes your king, you you will always respond as a human to every struggle you ever, ever face. So I want to help you if you have never taken that moment where you've said, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. And I'm not going to embarrass you and you don't have to stand up or come down front. Right where you're seated, would you all join me and pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you are my king. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.